As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Star Wars 7 by 7 episode 2741. The Land of the Jedi goes dark in more ways than one in The Fallen Star, which is the kickoff of Wave 3 of Phase 1 of the High Republic Mega Storytelling Initiative. And today, it's your non-spoiler review. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. Alright, it's official, The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray has been released today. It is the first novel in Wave 3 of the High Republic Storytelling Initiative in Phase 1 specifically and it's the one that has been promoted with apocalyptic images, oh, apocalyptic, yeah I can say that word, <laughs> apocalyptic images of the Starlight Beacon space station along with pictures of many Star Wars Jedi High Republic characters and the headline who will survive and Claudia Gray herself has promised that there will be fatalities in the novel and I will not get into spoiler territory well I said it was a non-spoiler <laughs> episode anyway but I just want to tell you that I'm gonna verify what she said that there are fatalities and that there are a couple of significant ones and I will also say that there is in the classic Star Wars tradition one false death where you think a character is dead and it turns out nope they actually miraculously survived but the groundwork for that survival is actually laid out in advance so it is probably a little bit more of an earned fake death if you will than maybe some that you've seen in the past but I'm getting a little ahead of myself so let's just stay focused on what we know already what's out there in the public about this novel the official summary talks about it being the darkest hour for the light of the Jedi, quote-unquote, and it goes on to say, time and again, the vicious raiders known as the Nile have sought to bring the golden age of the High Republic to a fiery end. Time and again, the High Republic has emerged battered and weary, but victorious thanks to its Jedi protectors, and there is no monument to their cause grander than the Starlight Beacon. Hanging like a jewel in the outer rim, the beacon embodies the High Republic at the apex of its aspirations, a hub of culture and knowledge, a bright torch against the darkness of the unknown, and an extended hand of welcome to the furthest reaches of the galaxy. As survivors and refugees flee the Nile's attacks, the beacon and its crew stand ready to shelter and heal. 
The grateful knights and padawans of the Jedi Order stationed there finally have a chance to recover from the pain of their injuries and the grief of their losses, but the storm they thought had passed still rages. They are simply caught in its eye. Marcion Rowe, the true mastermind of the Nile, is preparing his most daring attack yet, one designed to snuff out the light of the Jedi. And they went on to release the opening crawl of the book as well, which goes like this. The tragic events of the Republic Fair, and that's from The Rising Storm, right? Galvanize the galaxy. The Jedi and the Republic have gone on the offensive to stop the marauding Nile. With these vicious raiders all but defeated, Jedi Master Avar Chris has her sights set on Lorna D, the supposed Eye of the Nile, and has undertaken a mission to capture her once and for all. But unbeknownst to the Jedi, the true leader of the Nile, the insidious Martian Rowe, is about to launch an attack on the Jedi and the Republic on a scale not seen in centuries. If he succeeds, the Nile will be triumphant and the light of the Jedi will go dark. Only the brave Jedi Knights of Starlight Beacon stand in his way, but even they may not be enough against Roe and the ancient enemy that's about to be unleashed. And there have been three different excerpts released leading up to the book launch. One of them was published on StarWars.com, one of them showed up in The Wrap, and another one showed up on Gizmodo. And that ancient enemy business, well, that refers to the leveler, and we do get a whiff of that in one of the excerpts. And then the talk about Nihil attacks and people fleeing to Starlight Beacon, well, that is touched upon in another one of the excerpts, and this is part of the big plan that Martian Rowe has. And the other excerpt, which was the one on StarWars.com, basically takes place right at the very beginning of the novel and doesn't really necessarily bear upon the events of the novel uh, so much as it just adds a little bit of backstory for the things going on. So I wanna focus on this phrase, the light of the Jedi, because as you hear about the ancient enemy and you, you know, know about the leveler that we met in the Rising Storm that had such catastrophic effects on the Jedi and the leveler's also shown up in the Star Wars comics as well, you know that <laughs> the leveler could be you know, in one sort of way described as something that could extinguish the light of the Jedi. Like, the Jedi are considered part of the light side of the Force and their ability to commune with the Force, and presumably the light side in specific, is definitely hampered in some as yet unknown fashion by this great leveler, or just leveler if you will. And it does come into play, but I don't think this is really what they're talking about when they're talking about the light of the Jedi going dark. Really, it seems to be the very literal interpretation of Starlight Beacon. So all the materials that have been released to promote this have talked about Starlight Beacon being in jeopardy and the artwork that we've been presented shows it in flames with explosions and stuff. So it's, you know, pretty well established that bad things are going to happen to Starlight Beacon. And the novel ends up just being a detailing of the bad things that happen and what unfolds as a result. And the thing about them meaning it literally has to do with the fact that at the very end of the novel Light of the Jedi, which was the first story that kicked off this whole initiative, they have the dedication ceremony for Starlight Beacon. And in the novel, it is described as 
as the light of the Jedi. Like the space station itself is referred to as the light of the Jedi. And so, yeah, this is what is going dark. But if you wanted to, you could also look at the notion of the light of the Jedi in a couple of other ways. For example, that thing that we read you about how the Republic has been battered and weary, but thanks to the help of its Jedi protectors, it's always, you know, come through whatever crises happen. Well, these crises keep happening and the Jedi seem unable to prevent them. And so at some point, the notion of the Jedi being, you know, source of light and protection in the galaxy is going to go away because they can't keep these things from happening. And then, of course, there's the question of whether all the Jedi are going to stay on the light side of the Force. In The Rising Storm, one of the you know, probably primary Jedi that we're following, Elzar Mann, suffered a significant lapse when he resorted to using the dark side of the Force and went off into... Yeah, a kind of therapy, if you will, as a result. And so we're going to find out a little bit more about what he's been up to and how it has helped him. But he's also going to end up being pressed into service at a time when, yeah, maybe he shouldn't be pressed into service considering what he's been through. But for all of the possible interpretations of The Light of the Jedi, it's really only the physical representation of Starlight Beacon, which is addressed directly in the novel. And the rest of those interpretations, well, those are going to be addressed if they are at all in future storytelling. But rather than speculate on what's going to happen with future storytelling in that regard, let's stick with The Fallen Star. And I'll say for sure that Claudia Gray has delivered another great read. She is just effortless, it feels like. It just flows so well. It is a page turner in the literal sense of the word or a page tapper in the Kindle sense of the word. And she's asked to do something that she hasn't really been asked to do in previous Star Wars novels that she's written, which is to say that she follows a bunch of different characters and a bunch of different storylines all working together as opposed to sticking with a few characters and only weaving in one or two storylines of like major groups of characters going on. And unsurprisingly, she does it very well. The only downside to that is that it does not then get to employ her talent for deep dives into the characters and also in particular to Geode, who was the breakout star of her first novel, Into the Dark, first novel within the High Republic situation. Geode gets his moments in the book and they are fantastic but there's just not nearly as many of them as there were in Into the Dark, and that, of course, is a function of the broader focus of the novel itself. And I'm just grabbing Geode as an example of the fact that we don't necessarily get to spend as much time with individual characters as we do in some of Claudia Gray's previous work, and so that's, you know, a bit of a bummer, but it's also more of a function of what Claudia Gray is being asked to do with this novel rather than anything else. If there's any particular criticisms I have about The Fallen Star, they basically fall into sort of a macro-level situation and a micro-level situation. On the macro-storytelling level, there is, you know, of course, some significant stuff that happens with Starlight Beacon, and as a result, the characters that 
could be in play are in two different groups and we really only spend time with one group of characters. The other group of characters are referenced here and there, but we don't know anything about what happens to them over the course of The Fallen Star. And I feel like that, you know, is something that I would have really been interested to hear and to you know learn more about what was going on with those folks. But the you know, other group that we stay with, it's again, you know, multiple sets of characters, but it is all in one overarching group. And I would have liked much more from the other group as well. And I'm being a little bit vague about how I'm defining grouping into two groups, and that's just so as not to spoil events for you. And the other thing has to do with just the fact that the language that they used in the promotional materials talking about how the you know, Niall attack and then the Jedi and the Republic fight it off and time and again, that language, time and again, this happens. And so we are kind of falling into a bit of a pattern with these major High Republic stories, like the adult novel High Republic stories, where there's some disaster and then the Jedi and the Republic fix it. And then they think they have the Niall on the run and are working toward defeating him, but nope, surprise! it's an enormous attack and then here we go again they are getting the Nile on the run and they think they have him cornered and pinned nope <laughs> wrong again and it's yet another attack and so you feel like this pattern has to change up hopefully in the course of future storytelling and then on the micro level first of all on a positive side I want to say that if you are reading all stories in all mediums from the High Republic Storytelling Initiative, then you will definitely have additional moments of surprise and delight when characters who are primarily existing in these other media show up in The Fallen Star, and that's great. There are a couple of characters that showed up from storytelling in the short stories of Star Wars Insider who could have helped a lot more with what was going on in the Starlight Beacon, who could have been of more assistance to the Jedi based on you know, what they were doing on Starlight Beacon in the short stories and were not asked and didn't offer to help. And I thought that was just kind of a bit of a miss. And then also Martian Rose deployment of the leveler in this whole fray. I'm really hoping that future storytelling is going to have a little bit more to say about this particular decision because on Honestly, it feels like, from Martian Rose's perspective, it doesn't necessarily play out in the best way for his future plans. And again, I'm being a little evasive with that one just to not tell you <laughs> what happens. But for all the finality of the events that happen in The Fallen Star, there's also a significant cliffhanger situation set up, which really does make you wonder, gee whiz, where are they going to go from here with this story? It really does feel like the horizons have opened up in new and completely mysterious ways. Especially since we're going to be learning much more about Martian Rowe and his backstory soon and why he has so much skin in this game. I think that could open up you know, a lot of very interesting avenues. Especially if there aren't going to be any other large targets out there like the Republic Fair or like Starlight Beacon. And we can surmise that they're not going to do another great disaster scenario because they've already done it within the High Republic. So what is going to happen next? Well, yeah. That, I think, is the you know, biggest and most exciting thing that comes out of The Fallen Star is just where things are left. It really does feel like 
you know, a finalization of the major action in Wave 3. And yes, I know we still have storytelling to come across Wave 3, but Wave 3 is the end of this first phase of the Higher Public Storytelling Initiative. And so I think we do have some much more exciting stuff to come. So there you go. That's what I have for you about The Fallen Star in a non-spoiler capacity. 345 pages and it goes by quick. Claudia Gray's writing is stellar as always. Just, you know, the broader questions of, yeah, how many times can they do this disaster scenario thing as part of High Republic storytelling overall? But setting all of those questions aside, just an enjoyable read nonetheless. And that is going to do it for this episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it, as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.